All right, so we're launching in a new series this week, and it's called Extravagant Trust. And it's focused on one of our core values as a church. We have five core values as, as a church, pray, give, invite, mentor, and serve. And we spent the first part of the year talking about four of those core values, but I wanted to spend these next four weeks uh, in a series on the fifth core value there, and that is give. Uh, because at Fairfax, we want to develop this culture of generosity as a church, a culture of generosity. We want our church as an organization to be generous with the resources that God provides us. We want those in the church to be generous with the resources that God provides them. And, and not so that we can raise more money. That's just one of the byproducts of generosity. We want people to be generous with their money, with their time, with their energy, with their gifts, with their talents, with their emotions and all of that because it's a huge part of our spiritual growth. Andy Stanley, who some of you know, is the author, uh, speaker, pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, uh, tells his congregation, generosity is something we want for you, not from you. It's something we want for you, not from you. He's saying that generosity is part of our spiritual growth. That's a different way of saying it. It's becoming the person that God created you to be. God is a generous God, and since you are created in his image, you were created to be a generous person. Generosity is not an obligation. It's an opportunity to reflect the image of God in the way that you live your life. And I wanted to do this. This was very intentional. I wanted to do this uh, at a time when uh, we're not trying to raise money for anything. We don't have any campaign that's going on. Right now, there's no fundraising campaign that's going on. This is not end of the year giving time. This is not giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday is half a year uh, away. I want to do it in the middle of the year, away from all of that stuff, so that we could just focus on what it means to truly become a generous community and a generous person, the kind of generosity that causes people to take notice, the, the kind of generosity that is completely and totally counter-cultural. Most people outside the church, when they think about the church, don't necessarily think about generosity as being one of the defining characteristics of the church. They tend to think that the church is more defined by rules and regulations and obligations and expectations, all of which lead people in a direction that leads them toward a lot of judgmentalism. And a lot of people, when they think about the church, that's, those are the defining characteristics they think about when they think about the church. Kind of obligations, um, being kind of forced into doing things, rules, expectations, and a kind of an overall sense of judgmentalism, which is why people, even skeptics, are kind of caught off guard when they find a church filled with people that freely share their resources with people in need and to advance the kingdom. They can't quite figure out why someone would be that generous. And some of you probably have some people in your life right now that are like that. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone even in your own family that can't quite figure you out, that thinks you're weird in some way. They can't figure out why you would be so generous with your money. The idea that you would give away 
of your income, maybe even more than 10% of your income without being forced to, just kind of boggles their mind. What they don't realize, of course, and maybe what some of you don't realize and, and that we sometimes need to be reminded of is that Jesus talked a lot about generosity, and especially when it comes to our money and our possessions. In fact, if you count up the number of verses in the Gospels uh, that deal with money or finances in some way, you could argue that Jesus spent more time talking about money and possessions than any other single topic. Now, why is that? Well, it's because Jesus knew that the way that we think about our money and the way that we think about our possessions has a huge impact on our ability to grow as followers of Jesus. It has a huge impact on how we live out our citizenship in the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen in his kingdom, and the way in which you view resources and money will have a huge impact on the way in which you live out your citizenship in the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to financial resources, and this is where we're gonna spend kind of most of our time today, um, people tend to view that in one of two ways. Uh, some people believe that financial resources are limited, so we need to do everything we can to hang on to our resources, we need to guard those resources, we need to make sure that no one takes away those resources, we need to protect those resources, we need to make sure we don't give away too much of those resources. Some would call that a scarcity mindset. There's a scarcity of resources and we basically are in competition with those around us to make sure that we get our fair share of those limited resources. A scarcity mindset usually leads to anxiety and worry and greed and selfishness and a, a preoccupation with making sure that you have enough, which you're never quite sure that you have. Like it doesn't matter like what we think would be enough. When we get there, usually it's not enough. I know that when I was, and I've talked about this before, when I was a lot younger and I thought about like what could I make that would be like over the top and would be enough and I got there and like it wasn't enough. At least it didn't feel like it was enough. And then like I thought about another amount like if I ever got to that point, if I got to that figure like that would be enough and then I got there and it didn't feel like enough. And some of you, a lot of you probably deal with that and maybe you lived in some other place, you grew up in some other place, then you moved to Fairfax, Virginia and you're making more money maybe than you ever thought that you would make and you go, it's not enough, like it's just not enough. And it doesn't feel like it's enough. Like, that's just kind of the nature of a scarcity mentality. It just never feels like it's enough. The writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about people who have a scarcity mindset when he wrote this, when he says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. So that's the one, kind of the scarcity mindset. On the other hand, there are people that have a very different view of the world. They believe that there are unlimited financial resources that flow from a source that is unlimited. They believe in a God who is the ultimate owner of everything and who is willing to generously share that with us. 
Some would call that an abundance mindset. And since there is an abundance of resources, our primary focus doesn't have to be on clinging to the resources that we have. We don't have to be filled with anxiety and worry that we won't have enough, which means that we can live generous lives. Now, let me just give you, it's a pretty ethereal kind of thing to talk about this, but let me just give you a metaphor maybe that kind of helps you wrap your mind around all this. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. And when you arrive, there's lots of people there, beautiful decorations, and all kinds of food, all kinds of drinks, all of that, absolutely, absolutely over the top. The host has taken care of everything, and there is enough food, and there is enough drink for everyone who was invited to the party. And when you're invited to a party like that, and some of you have been invited to parties like that, some of you have thrown parties like that, when you're invited to a party like that, you don't have to worry about any of your basic needs, right? Like you can just relax and you can enjoy what the host has provided and you can just focus on conversations and laughter and talking and kind of focus on the people around you. You don't have to be worried about it all. It just means that you can kind of relax and, and that's exactly what the host wants. That's why she provided everything that she provided. That's what she wanted. And that's the picture of the world that we see in the Bible. That God is the host and all of us, all of humanity are his guests. Everyone, everyone, everyone has been invited to the party and it's an incredible party and the host has spared no expense in providing for all of the guests. God has created this world of goodness and opportunity and abundance. Now, that's an incredibly beautiful, idyllic picture. But as we know, this is not the, the way that people experience the world. Instead, we experience a world oftentimes of scarcity and struggle. And that's the world, if you think about it, that's the world that Jesus grew up in. Like the, the world that Jesus came, was incarnated into and came into, the world that he grew up, the nation that he grew up in was a nation that was under military occupation. People were losing their land. A majority of the population was in poverty. They were victims. Many of them were victims of predatory lending practices that guarantee that their family would not get out of debt for generation and generation and generation to come, that they would never, ever get out of debt. And yet, in the middle of all of that, Jesus says things like this, and he says a lot of stuff like this, but this is just one of them in Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And see how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor, they don't spin, and yet 
Not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Now, we read a passage like that, and our first inclination really is we kind of go, Jesus, you're being just a little naive here, you know? Which seems a little funny, like coming out, like that we would talk about the naivete of Jesus, because Jesus is God, and Jesus understands everything, and yet we read this, and we feel like this doesn't seem like it's really in touch with the real world, that it's just a little bit naive what Jesus is saying, but Jesus wasn't being naive when he said this. He knew, he knew that sometimes there is a scarcity problem, that sometimes there really isn't enough. In fact, he experienced that poverty firsthand, but he also knew that our scarcity problem isn't a lack of resources. Our scarcity problem is because of us. It's because we're not sure we can really trust God to provide. It's because we have bought into a scarcity mindset that can justify almost anything in order to take care of ourselves. And inevitably, that leads to anxiety and envy and anger and violence and a world where it really does seem like there's not enough. And here's the thing about this the scarcity mentality, we don't just see it in the lower end of the economic spectrum. We see it at work everywhere. It's what drives the world. It's what drives the history of the world. We see it at work in the C-suites of businesses throughout the world. We see it at work in leaders in government throughout the world. We see it at work in the super wealthy and in the middle class. It's this scarcity mindset that leads to rampant greed, to corruption, to the use of violence, to acquire more and more. And we see that play out on the world stage over and over and over again. You just have to go to the news today. Just look at what's going on around the world to see that this drives the world. This use of violence to acquire more and more and more is kind of the history of humankind. We see it played out over and over and over again. So many places around the world. It's, a, it's true here at some, in some measure, but there are other places around the world where it's even more true and we see the devastating impact that it has on the population. And here's the thing. We see this scarcity mindset. You know, sometimes we... Think about this. Well, this is kind of a Western problem. This is a 21st century problem. This is kind of something that's happened or come into being because of whatever has come into being over the last 100 years or 200 years or 300 years or whatever it is. And you go, no, 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 no. We see this same scarcity mindset at work in the Israelites. Think about their story. Some of you are familiar with the story. God promises the Israelites to provide everything that they need. All they have to do is trust in his abundant generosity. All they have to do is trust the host of the party. But that's not what happens. Most of you know the story. The Israelites enter a land of abundance, 
The promised land, every time the promised land is described in scripture, it's described as a land of abundance. When the 12 tribes go into the promised land to spy it out, to see if they can go into that land, they describe it as a land of abundance. Every time the promised land is talked about in scripture, it's talked about as a land of abundance. Israel is given this land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's theirs and not God's. And they act like there's not enough. They develop a scarcity mindset. And just as it has happened throughout the history of humanity, that leads to violence, that leads to war, and eventually it leads to Israel's self-destruction. We see it happen over and over again. Now, if you were hosting a party... And I think this is true with me as well. If I was hosting a party, if you were hosting a party and your guests acted that way, if you were hosting a party where you had provided everything for your guests so that they could just not have to worry about all that, just enjoy one another, enjoy fellowship, laughter, talking around the table, plenty of food, plenty of drink, all that, just a great, great time. And they started acting like the stuff that you provided them was theirs. And they started fighting each other to get as much of it as they can, you would probably say, okay, the party's over. I think I would say, okay, the party's over. I think sometimes as my kids were growing up, I said, okay, the party's over. Like, you just go, okay, that's it. Like, no, 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 that that is not what this is all about. But God doesn't do that. God does something incredibly surprising. God generously provides another gift for his guests in this party that has gone bad. But this gift is different than any gift that he has given before. Because the gift he gives is the gift of himself. Jesus comes to a party that has gone bad. And Jesus says, this party is not over. This party is just getting started. He calls this party the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, this this kingdom party. And then everything that Jesus says, when you look at his ministry and his life, everything that Jesus says and everything that Jesus does is focused on the fact that the generous host of this kingdom party can be trusted, that you can trust the generous host of this kingdom party. One of the encounters that Jesus has is he's sharing the the good news of this kingdom party. It's with a guy that is described in the Gospels as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks like, how can I experience eternal life? And Jesus tells him this. He says, sell everything that you have, give the proceeds to the poor and follow me. And this young man just can't bring himself to do that. So he ends up walking away from the very thing that he was looking for. Now, the point of the story is not that everyone who follows Jesus has to give away all of their possessions. The point of the story is that following Jesus means leaving behind whatever it is that we're putting our trust in and transferring that trust to Jesus. The rich young ruler was clearly 
trusting in his wealth, trusting in his power, trusting in his authority. And Jesus says, I want you to transfer your trust from that to me. Jesus wanted the rich young ruler and he wants us to know that our generous host can be trusted. He invited him and he invites us to live a different kind of story, a story that is built on trust, trusting in God's provision, trusting in God's abundance, trusting in God's goodness, trusting in God's grace, trusting in God's presence, trusting in God's salvation, trusting in God's ability to provide for our needs. Sometimes God calls us to do some really crazy, crazy things. We talk all the time about being in the yes position to God. Sometimes being in the yes position to God means doing some really crazy things. And oftentimes we don't know where the resources will come from. But that's what trust that's what faith is all about. The more we understand God's economy, the more we learn about obedience, the more we learn about trust, the more we learn about what it means to walk by faith. When you really start trusting this generous host, you begin seeing the opportunities for generosity like everywhere. Your, your life becomes this, this opportunity to be generous. You see ways to be generous with your time. You start seeing ways to be generous with your emotions. You start seeing ways to be generous with your gifts and your talents and your passions and your abilities. And yes, you find ways to be generous with your stuff. You start finding ways to be generous with your resources. And it's not always big stuff. Like when this, when this culture of generosity begins to permeate a community, when the culture of generosity begins to permeate like our life, it's just like all, it just oozes out in all of these ways. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's flashy, and sometimes it's, it's small. It just, it just oozes out in every way. I was telling you that uh, Sway and I got to go over and be in Istanbul and, and uh, to be a part of helping with their sound system and all that. And, and Sway, uh, he's got, you know, he's a, he's a tech guy, right? He's a production guy. He has all of these uh, cool things that production folks have that make me want to actually be a production guy but not actually have to do the work of a production guy, you know? And so he has just like this cool stuff. And one of the things that he has, I don't know if you've ever seen it, is is that he's working oftentimes in like real dark spots and trying to, you know, connect wires in places where there's no lights and all that. So he has these gloves that have lights. They're like half gloves and they have lights at the end of like the glove. So like wherever his hand is, is like, it's like iron. It looks like Iron Man. It's just like, it looks like so super cool. And when we were in this theater, sometimes they had to turn the lights down and he had to get into places where you couldn't see. And so he had these, he had these gloves on, you know, that he was doing all this work. And I just, at the time he was doing it, I just said, Sway, you, you just look so cool. Just like, that's just so cool. And the, the, uh, the owner of the theater was there and, and the lady that kind of manages the theater for him. And we were getting done 
with you know, all of our work, we're getting ready to fly out the next day and accomplished everything that we'd want to accomplish. And they were like super grateful and super thankful for all of that. And, uh, and then the, the lady that kind of manages the theater, uh, she said um, to Sway, she goes, I, I love those gloves. Like, where could I, where could I get those, those gloves? And I, I thought, so Sway knows all these contacts and all these things. I thought he was gonna give him all this information about like where she could get it. And, and as soon as she says, like, where can I get these gloves? He takes the gloves off and he says, here, they're yours. They're yours. And it was just this little, it was just this little thing, but it's like in that moment, it was like God was just saying, that, that's it. Like, that's what it looks like. Here, it's yours. Here, here God, it's yours. Like my, my resources, they're yours. My, my gifts, my talents, they're, they're yours. Like the things that you have entrusted to me and given to me, like it's, it's yours. And whenever God has need of it, whenever God calls us to do something that requires something that he has given to us, like a generous life, a life that is reflective of the image of God, a life that reflects the generous God that we serve is just this life that just says, here God, it's yours, it's yours. You know, it doesn't take, I love the way that Jesus says this. Jesus says in Luke six, Jesus, uh, and, and it's, it's Jesus' way of saying to us that when you really get the generous lifestyle, that you realize that you serve a God who is always saying to you, there's more where that came from. Like you don't, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to hoard it. Like there's more, like whatever it is that I've entrusted to your care, like there's more, there's more where that came from. And I love the way he says it in Luke 6. He says, give it and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. So much imagery with that. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, living generously doesn't mean that we have a lot of resources in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church in Corinth and he's writing to them about another church that's located in an area called Macedonia. And the church in Corinth is a pretty affluent church and the church is in Macedonia is this under-resourced church. And, and Paul points out that their lack of resources doesn't keep them from living this extravagantly generous lifestyle. He says, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches because out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. They were taking an offering for the Christians who were going through an incredibly hard time in Jerusalem. And he says they, 
they pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. There's so much in that passage that could be unpacked. But I want you just to focus your attention on that one little phrase that's found in verse four. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. In other words, their generosity didn't grow out of their own abundance. It grew out of their trust in this generous God who abundantly provides. Jesus' death on the cross is the fullest, most complete expression of the abundant generosity of God. That Jesus laid down his life, gave his life so that we could live. And our generosity flows out of that generosity. Generosity is nothing more than an obligation if it's not rooted in trust. And that's what God is saying, I think, to us today. He's saying, you can, you can trust me. Yeah, you can trust me with your finances. You can trust me with your resources. You can trust me with your possessions. You can trust me with all that, but you can trust me with so much more than that. You can trust me with your failures. You can trust me with your past. You can trust me with your future. You can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me with your relationships. You can trust me with your decisions. You can trust me. You know, this baptism that we're doing today was supposed to be two weeks ago. And for a number of reasons, we couldn't do it two weeks ago and so we moved it to today and and at first it was like ah I, I kind of hate doing baptism on a weekend that we're starting a series talking about generosity but the more I got into this message and the more I understood what God was wanting to say to us and to me about all of this the more I felt like this is perfect this is perfect because that's what everyone who's being baptized today is declaring. They are declaring that they're putting their trust in Jesus. And like I said, we have people being baptized today that come from Christian backgrounds, church backgrounds. They grew up going to church. We have folks who are getting baptized today that, that came from Muslim backgrounds, Muslim families, completely different kinds of backgrounds and we have folks getting baptized today that really haven't really been raised in a church or connected to church no real background at all this way but here's what they all have in common they have all 
put their trust in Jesus. They have all come to a place in their life where they have heard Jesus say, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. And they have put their trust in him. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, we're gonna, um, in a moment, send out everyone who's getting baptized and I'm gonna pray and, and then we're gonna worship and while everyone's getting baptized, we're gonna be worshiping in here and you're gonna see it up on the screens and, and, uh, and if you are like family members of someone who's getting baptized, really close to someone who's getting baptized, you can go out with them and be out in the lobby with them. It will, in a moment, we'll kind of send you all out. And, and, I, and I want to just invite, I want to invite you, if you have never put your trust in Jesus, and I, and I, mean, I mean your life, if you've never put your your trust in Jesus for your life, that this is an opportunity to do that today. You know, I was thinking about, we've got some kids that are being baptized and, and they've put their trust in Jesus at, at the level that they can do at that age. It's genuine, it's real. We've, we, we go through classes with them and talk about Jesus and what he's done for them and, and they've put their trust in Jesus, but like these little kids that are baptized today, they're gonna face stuff where they are gonna be faced with that decision over and over and over again. Like, am I gonna go my own way or am I gonna, am I gonna trust Jesus with this? I'm gonna trust Jesus with this decision. I'm gonna trust Jesus with this act of obedience. Am I gonna trust Jesus? And they'll be living out this life of trusting Jesus. And we have folks, adults that are getting baptized and, and maybe in the past, they, they put their trust in something else. Maybe they put their trust in their career or they put their trust in wealth or they put their trust in accomplishment or success or whatever it's been, or they put their trust in themselves or they put their trust in their good works or whatever it's been. And now they're saying, no, 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 I, I put my trust in Jesus, but that it won't end with this. Like that's a, that's an almost daily thing. Like almost every day, all of us find ourselves in situations, in circumstances, in decisions, in things that we have to do where we have to make a decision. Tomorrow, you'll probably have to make a decision. The next day, you'll probably have to make a decision. Are you gonna put your trust in Jesus with this? Or are you gonna try to fix it yourself? Or are you gonna try to take it into your own hand? You're gonna try to do it yourself and in the midst of every single one of those decisions every single one of those things that we face almost on a daily basis God is just continuing to speak out to us and say you can trust me you can trust me you can trust me you can trust me I know you've trusted me in the past I know I've been faithful to you in the past but Rod you can trust me this time as well you can trust me with this situation as well you can trust me with this circumstance as well and so I just invite you if you've never put your trust in Jesus or 
Maybe there's some things going on where Jesus is saying you can trust me and you've kind of taken it into yourself. I want to give you an opportunity to just say, yeah, I want to put my trust in you. And then we're going to send folks out. We're going to celebrate. We're going to worship. It's going to be amazing. God, we give you thanks for what you have done for us. We give you thanks for your unbelievable generosity towards us. The giving of your very life so that we could experience life. And Lord, we know that you call us to put our trust in you for everything. To, to put our trust in you for our failures and, and to trust in your forgiveness and your grace and what you've done for us on the cross. To trust our life to you, to trust our resources to you, finances to you, our relationships to you, everything. Lord, you just call us to trust it, to trust it to you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never given their life to you, never trusted their life to you, that today's the day that they, that they put their trust in you. And if there's someone who's done that and, and, and maybe has never been baptized since they put their trust in you, and today you're just kind of saying, today's the day, Lord, I pray that you just give them the courage to just take the step out and to be a part of this incredible crowd that is being baptized today. Lord, we give all of this to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.